0: Hey, and welcome to the Six Minute Mile podcast. I'm David Lavalley, and I had a blast chatting with today's guest, Jim Canadal. Jim had a successful career as a steeplechaser at the University of Iowa in the 70s. He is also a longtime D1 collegiate track and cross-country coach, who recently published a book called A Golden Era, A Tale of Two Runners. While there are plenty of how-to books on running and training, the World Library of Running Books a little thin on fiction aside from the classic once a runner novel jim's book helps to change that but beyond just literary chatter jim is a funny and engaging guest who has more folksy sayings than a general store philosopher in the deep south jim drops a few four-letter words in our discussion so cover the young one's ears. he also drops dime on jesse owens who believe it or not was a closet cigarette smoker back in his prime we're confident that you'll enjoy our conversation about bringing out the best performance in any athlete. Enjoy and we'll see you out there. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. This is uh we have not had a fiction author on the podcast yet, so this is this is an honor. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: I'm glad to be on. It's uh I actually enjoy this. I think uh for some people I've worked with, uh, I've I've on different podcasts it's like pulling teeth but no i enjoy it it's fun
0: oh good stuff so um i'd love to hear a little bit more about your background but first love to dive in first about how you came up with the idea to write this book
1: you know it, it, it's gone back a long ways and i think a lot of it one of the things that you know i thought about it over the years i was a college coach for 35 years and one of the ways it started was my college coach competed against jesse owens in the 1935 Big Ten meet where there are three world records and a fourth tide. And I've always, I've met Carlos and talked with him extensively and people I say, well, he, he's the best or he's the best or, you know, but then you extend that to is, is Jim Ryan better than Alan Webb? Is, is Dathan Ritzenheim better than Steve Prefontaine? So that's kind of where it evolved from that just basic idea, comparing eras.
0: You know and that, those were some of the golden years. Um, you, know, you graduated, I think, from undergrad in '74, and that was really the golden era of American distance running, right?
1: I like to think so. <laughs> I wasn't part of it, but yes.
0: <laughs> wow, you're being modest. I think so. Tell us no. about your running career, though. I think you were a walk on at the University of Iowa, but but went on to have a pretty accomplished career, right?
1: Well, I mean, I was I was an average athlete, honestly. In the Big Ten, I think one of the things I talk about in the book was. Kids have this pie in the sky attitude when they go into college, thinking, Oh, I was, you know, I was conference champion or I was state champion, even. Then they get to college and they realize, dang, these guys are good. Uh, You know, you get, I listened to your podcast about Bill Rogers. He was, it sounded like a okay high school runner, but he got much better as he went along. Uh, And I think I got better, but I wasn't one of those that got much better. I was one of those like in the thirties at the big 10 meet, I made all the good athletes possible. I'd put it that way. (laughs) But you were scoring
0: points for the team. It sounds like
1: Yeah, too many in cross country.
0: (laughs) Understood. And so who was your coach back then? It sounds like he was an inspiration to you.
1: Well then, yeah, Francis Kretzmeyer was initially my coach for the first two years we called him Kretz. Um, I don't think I ever called him coach or coach Kretzmeyer. I only called him Kretz. Um, but he was, he was on the tail end of his career. And uh, you know I, I think an older coach has less enthusiasm. He, he was a great guy, I loved him, I loved him. Uh, then I had a coach after that, Ted Wheeler, who was a 1952 and 1956 Olympian in the uh, 1500 meters. Ted was the one, when he would come to practice, he would run with us to practice, he was probably in his 40s. Uh, he would bum a cigarette off one of the golfers and smoke while we were doing intervals. Come on. Yeah, so oh, story to God, that's true. Uh, that's true. So it's a well, different definitely
0: Well, yeah, you know, and Bill Rogers had told us that he uh, he actually after he graduated from college, he took up smoking. He was kind of stressed out about the Vietnam War and dropped mm-hmm, out of running. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, it's you no know, different era back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. but but what's what's the Jesse Owens story? So you're you was that Kretz who had run um, yeah. in the in the Big Ten Championships with Jesse Owens?
1: Yeah, and it, it was in 1935 at um, Ferry Field at University of Michigan. And Jesse Owens tied three or beat, broke three world records and tied a fourth. Um, Kretz was in a lot of the same events. Kretz was a long jumper. Jesse Owens beat him um, in, the, in the 200 meter, two, well, it was 220 yard low hurdles. Uh, that's how long ago it was. Kretz broke the world record by one tenth of a second. But, he, but I remember in a van ride, right, Kretz said, Guess what place I got? And I went second because right second
0: no. So he
1: no record and still didn't win uh jesse owens beat him so that would, you know that goes back to 1935 so it's that also shows how old i am to think my coach was competing in 1935 oh my god uh, yeah that's so, that's a ways that ways to go
0: but you mentioned that he referenced jesse owens several times during coaching all of you but did he have some meaningful interactions with
1: him Oh yeah, he he knew Jesse Owens real well. So actually, I can remember meeting Jesse Owens. So probably 1975. Uh, I met him again in 1981 because I remember he was the head marshal for the Drake Relays um, or whatever you. I don't know what you call it. But uh, so I've yeah, I've met him many many times. uh, And so they they had a very good relationship. And amazingly, they were both smokers. uh, So it was kind of a, a strange thing because you, you don't think of good athletes smokers, but they are.
0: Wait, Jesse Owens was a smoker back then, but your coach Kretz and Jesse Owens were both smokers back then in
1: 1935. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were, you know, I, I can remember the, when I saw Jesse Owens was at a bar and we stayed at the Fort Des Moines for the, I suppose it was Drake Relays, stayed at the Fort Des Moines and the, the bar is right as you come in the door. And I walked in there to talk with Kretz, and both he and Jesse Owens were sitting at the bar drinking beer, smoking cigarettes. I was like, it broke my idea of what a you know a world-class athlete is like. But well, hey, it's a different era again. Yeah. And uh, but did Kretz
0: have a sense back then of Jesse Owens' place in history?
1: Yeah, he, he, yeah. he knew he, he was yeah, I mean, Kretz always said when we would talk to him, he would Tell us of different athletes that competed against and names that if you went back in the era, you'd remember, but a lot of them I didn't know. But he said, there's no one even vaguely close to Jesse Owens. He was, no matter what event he took up, uh, because he said Jesse Owens was not a great hurdler and yet he broke the world record. Uh, He said when when Jesse Owens broke the world record in the long jump that day that stood for 25 years, he uh, only took one jump. Uh, That was the only jump he took. So literally broke a world record with one jump. Uh, Jesse Owens was that type of athlete so if you ask me between Carl Lewis and Jesse Owens who was the best athlete which started my book was that it's like mm, they were different eras it was you know sure Carl Lewis jumped as far in high school as Jesse Owens did but Jesse Owens did it on a, on a uh, well, like a grass runway I mean so it's yeah, you know yeah. apples and oranges much right, different
0: right. for sure and, and so Coming back to the book then, so how did that, so you'd heard these stories, kind of wondered about this barroom argument of who's the, who's the best runner in history, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is it LeBron, Michael Jordan? Is it <laughs> Carlos, exactly. Jesse Owens? Um, mm-hmm. So um, so how did that then inform the beginning of the book?
1: Well, I, I, because I was a distance runner myself, um, I wanted to apply it to running. I mean, they all say, write what you know, and I definitely know about running. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to compare the eras to, to, to show what they had to deal with when they were back in the late sixties and what they had to, you know, what they have in the new, new millennium. And so it was, I just kind of evolved. And the last couple of years in my, when I was coaching, I started just writing little scenes, I guess I call them uh, scenes of the book and I expand and expand and expand. And so, uh, you know, I came up, I, I like the idea of just, because people, you know, I'll tell you, if I said, you know, if I didn't, but if I said I ran 4.16 in high school, kids now would say, well, that wouldn't even make the finals a state. But I'd say, like, come on, we had cinder tracks. We, you know, we, right. we had spikes that were only four spikes and they, you know, whatever fit fit. Um, when I first started running, I ran in Chuck Taylors. I, I mean, unfortunately, low cut, but that's all I had. I mean, to think that you know, wouldn't it help to have $175 per shoes? Probably. I wouldn't got injured so much. So. Well,
0: of course. And then understanding nutrition and rest and recovery mm-hmm. exactly. and training programs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And so it just kind of evolved. And I, I, I was, I was compare running to, I mean, running and writing is very similar. There's, it's a lot of time involved. It's a lot of empty time where you just have time to think, um, and you create things in your head as you go along. And, and so it's the same process. I mean, I, I, there were days where I, as a runner, I felt like crap and I'd run for an hour. Uh, there's days when I ride, I, I can't even ride for an hour. But there's other days where I ride literally for six hours straight. And yeah. I couldn't run six hours straight. But, uh, you know, so it's the same type of just beat out you know, I was thinking someone described about how did Michelangelo make the David statue. And it's just like he cut away everything that wasn't what it, he didn't want. I mean, that's kind of what a book is. You have a big blob and you just take away what you don't want and create what you want.
0: I love that thought. And so how did you, um, were you a lifelong writer before that? The University of Iowa has a, an excellent writing program. Very but... good at
1: writing program. Yeah. Tennessee Williams yeah. is what I think about. But, yeah. um, and, you know, and there was Kirk Vonnegut was there and um, oh, Irving, John Irving. So there was, there were quite a few there, but it's, it, it's, it's something I just acquired as I went. And I think one of the things that really honed my writing skills, because if you asked my high school teacher, she would, she would have laughed her ass off. Uh, I, I was a terrible. writer But when you're writing recruiting letters to athletes, one of the things that I found that was extremely good Creating, uh, save their recruiting letters. I'm like, you saved your recruiting letter? Yeah, they saved it because it, it was exactly what they wanted. Uh, so it, I started doing that. I found that I could craft stuff really good. Uh, so it was applicable just to them, but they enjoyed it a lot. So, so what what
0: what did a typical recruiting letter include? So it was more than just, hey, here's why you know, Loyola mm-hmm. or Northwestern exactly. or University of Illinois Chicago is wonderful, but. Mm-hmm sounds like you had anecdotes or insights in there what did you put in
1: I would always when I would say, of the state meet I would always make little notes of right shoe untied uh, tripped on the curb uh, got cut off by such and such and I would put that in the letter and they thought because it's like any of us when we get a form letter you think they, they don't you know they, they didn't even put their own name in there but so I always made and so immediately they would read the letter and it's I would usually make it, two or three things I would talk about all the times they came out to see him. You know, I saw you at this, you did this. They're like, dang, he was there. And so it really, it, it worked out well. And I think if, if we had had a, maybe a better reputation at UIC, it would have been easier, but at Northwestern, it was simple. When I coached Northwestern, you could get athletes, you know, because it was a great school and uh, the football team stunk, but they, at, the, at the time. <laughs>
0: So every 20 years or so they have a decent team right yeah. right 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 yeah uh and so but but you enjoyed the experience at uic more of a recruiting challenge but but you built a, a strong program there mm-hmm.
1: yeah it, it's it's just a i can you know honestly this is almost embarrassing to say but i can remember the the first year i started uic the team was so pathetic Um, uh, maybe the three of us i don't know if you're a good runner so i apologize if
0: no, no, I'm I'm mediocrity personified. So,
1: <laughs> but that's me too. Uh, but it, it was so bad that I, I remember sitting on the bus and tears were running down my meat my eyes after the meet. I was like, why did I take this job? These these runners suck. And it's you know it's nothing against them, but it was just they just had never been pushed before yeah and, and so what i thought was lame. you're
0: you're a mcfarland usa before uh, long before the movie ever came out right
1: <laughs> no 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 uh, I, I mean i'm really easy going guy but i was so you know like you you we'd have morning practices and they'd go like what and and i you know we we do you no know, you don't leave practice you stretch afterwards you know you do drills you lift weights and they were, they just, I don't say they rebelled, but they weren't used to it. And so sure. when I started doing that, they, they got better, but it didn't happen in the first three months of cross country, it didn't, you started to see it in track. And I can remember actually one of my athletes, the, the indoor season, she, you could see the cross country season, you just got better and better. Indoor meet, I actually had to point out to the officials that my athlete won in the 5,000 meters. And they were like, no, she didn't. It's so like, yeah, I'll show you the splits. Yeah. And so the, I actually had to convince some officials that we won. And that was my first, the very first uh season, we had a conference champion. I was like, yeah,
0: that was great. They weren't used to seeing a UIC singlet coming in first.
1: <laughs> exactly,
0: love exactly.
1: It. It's it, like the it. story I always tell, uh, I met Glenn Harold uh, a couple of weeks ago. Glenn Harold was Big Ten champ in 1972, cross country, and good, probably qualified to Olympic trials. But when I saw Glenn, I said, Glenn, turn around because I don't recognize your face. He'll only know the back of you. <laughs> Uh, that's all I've ever seen. Uh, so it's you know it's a common again. I'm uh, I'm I'm just a, as average of runners come. I would never. No, I had a younger brother. That was a good jumper, but that, that wasn't me. I could high jump five eight. There's not much call for that. So,
0: <laughs> junior high eighth grade meet maybe you'd uh, you'd have a chance to podium. <laughs> yeah. So did um, but but otherwise other than these recruiting letters. Uh, um, you, you did not have a deep training in writing. You didn't have a, uh, I mean, I've, I have not read the whole book, I will confess, but, but I've, I've read sections of it um, mm-hmm. preparing for our, our discussion. Yeah. It's, it's good prose. It's you're not oh, diving yeah. into cliches and um, no, it's it, not to. No, it's, it's, it's well done. So, so this, you were largely self-trained self-taught.
1: Yeah. I, because I'm a voracious reader. I, I mean, honestly, oh, I, I would say, to read two or three books a week, is not unusual at all. I mean, obviously they're not war and peace, but uh, you know, I, I read tremendous. and you learn what sounds good until sure. when I, when I would write a paragraph, I read it to myself and say, does that sound good? And it was kind of e- easy to make sense of, you know, what's good, what's bad. And I, and I learned too, there, you've got to u- use descriptors that by nature, most people don't use. They don't say the, you know the lake michigan i live in lake michigan they don't say lake michigan is kind of blue green right now and the waves are gentle you know there's they just say there's a lake well you can't just say there's a lake
0: And yeah. I, and i think
1: the other thing that's helped me riding is that i know what it feels like when you see runners we've all done sports and there's times when you're it doesn't feel good and it, it's not easy and people look at your face and think oh he's not tired like yeah i'm, I'm really tired ah, and right. and so i understand the emotions that go through your mind uh one of the things i even used in the book was during a race all is fair and love and war i mean you know if you said to push a guy sure i push the guys if i ever grabbed guys shirts oh, all the time If i grabbed yeah. the shirts yes if i have I pushed them out of the way yes but after the race you would shake the hand and say thank you very much i respect what you, the racer that you are so it's a it's a, you know, I understand that, but I don't think people see that, uh, from the outside. Absolutely.
0: Well, and that also brings up that you have, you, you could assign a wonderful writer to cover this sport, but they don't have your decades of experience in the sport and understand the nuances. And, and anyone who's ever had, I, I can remember our 12 year old little league team was playing in a city championship game and the local paper wrote a story about it. And we all said, this guy, seemed like a smart guy, but he there were like 12 inaccuracies in this story. So, you know, if you've ever had something written about a subject that you really do know inside and out, mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to get that right. But you have that authenticity on your side when you yeah. write about this subject, right?
1: Yeah, I, I always hope so, because even my wife, she just left so I can say this now. But my wife, she'll always say, did you, how would she say it? Did you win the game this weekend? It's like, my God, it's not a game. It's a meet, you know. So automatically, I just don't even want to answer because I hear that she won't. She won't listen. To this, so I'm not worried. Uh,
0: <laughs> she doesn't know how important it is for these 19 <laughs> and 20 year old kids running circles on a track. That's you know, that's life mission critical.
1: <laughs> You're right. You're right. But it's and- you, you. You get a feel. So it, it makes it. It makes it much easier to. Uh, to write because I, I, you know, anything that looks easier, then there's different emotions you feel after a race or during a race, I, I remember all of them.
0: So, um, but speaking of authors who who have helped you, you to develop your voice, who do you think about as a writer most, or who, who do you think of, man, when I'm writing this, if only it could be like Hemingway or, or whomever.
1: You know, uh, there's a lot of good ri- writers, I, I mean, uh like I just wrote a book by from Kristen Hanna. Ooh, I want to say the the Great Alone. Uh no. I mean some some are good. They just like craft. I love um who wrote *The Prince of Tides*? Pat Conroy.
0: Oh yeah, I yeah.
1: love him. He's so descriptive. I think he's one of the best. I could read any book by him in this. Like
0: uh, the, *The Great Santini* was his too, yes. which became a movie. Excellent Bolea. one. Yes, yeah. yes,
1: yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I there's some authors that really resonate. The other, the other thing, the more you write, you start to see how shallow some writers are, <laughs> and that could be me. Uh, you know, yeah, because some of them that good of writers, and I'm like, you have a book and you're. Uh, so it's surprising, but, right. but I enjoy reading. I, I, have always read, you know, I love like, I think Chicago authors, Nelson Algren, I love, or James Farrell. I love, I just think like great, uh, great, great authors. I could listen to that, but I, I, I don't try and emulate anyone because I think I would do such a crappy job that it would be embarrassing. Uh, people go, Phew. you know, that because Hemingway writes like kind of short, choppy sentences. That's right. I would never, I can't do that it doesn't sound as smooth as he does it. So I just use my own style, whether good or bad. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Now, have you read most of the, um, most of the running genre books that have been popular? Have you read uh, mm-hmm. Once a Runner and oh, yeah. Running with the Buffaloes and yes. all those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I, you know, I, I read uh, John Parker's book probably late seventies. And I, I, I can remember literally as soon as I finished, I read it again. Uh, I enjoyed it so much. It was such a groundbreaking and to be honest one of the reasons that inspired me to write too is that there's a lot of um autobiographical or biographical books which i enjoy uh but i like creating the story um and i think that you know because there's a lot of books i read a book craig virgin has a book um bob robert co wrote a book book called jocks are good i enjoy that a lot um Oh, what's, uh, Bob Scholl wrote a book. He was the last Olympic 5,000 meter champion from the United States. It was in 1950, 64, uh, was the last American. It was Olympic gold medalist in 5k. No one knows his name. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know, know everyone, that. Everyone would know Bill Dellinger, who was the Oregon coach, uh, for Prefontaine. Well, Bob Scholl beat, uh, Dellinger at the Olympics. Dellinger was third, Bob Scholl was number one, but no one remembers Bob Scholl. They remember Bill Dellinger. So it's uh that's one of my memories. But uh yeah, I I, I read him graciously. I mean I have Murray Hallberg, some of the old uh books. Uh and I and I when I graduated from college, I was a phys ed major, but I also got a history degree. And I love history. Uh, you know, I, I I think of so many books. I mean, I just read Eric Larson, which is about Winston Churchill. So I enjoy reading a lot.
0: That's great. And, uh, and how, you mentioned biographical and autobiographical. How much of this pulled from your own life experience, your own family experiences? And I think, and do you have a son who's a runner?
1: No, no, I actually okay. don't. We don't have any kids. But, you know, it's it. it, it I would say maybe 40% of it's true and 60% is made up. Uh, I'll give you a good example. I think a lot of people have seen the Steve Prefontaine movie. Yes. uh, Where he he cut his foot on the track and he ran the race on the track. I was at that race. And I remember after the race, he went around and he would slap hands with the fans. And I remember running down the rail, leaning forward as far as I could. And he missed my hand like this. Like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it was like a, a, you don't slap hands with Steve Prefontaine. But in the book, we actually slapped hands. So, uh, you know, you, you got a, a little bit of truth, a little bit of fiction. Uh, you know, and even on that, that thing and this, people wouldn't believe this. This is true parts are some of the ones you wouldn't believe. My mom dropped us off at the interstate. We're, we lived two hours from Des Moines, where the Nationals were at Drake University. Two hours away, she dropped us off at seven in the morning on the interstate. Uh, we hitchhiked to Des Moines, two hours. We just had a little sign we held up said DM and for Des Moines. People knew. Picked us up. We got there. We walked over to the stadium. Uh, it's about five blocks. He dropped us off right off the interstate there. Um, stayed overnight the with I don't remember who, and, and then uh, went to the meet the next day. Saw Steve Prefontaine, and then hitchhiked home. And so that's you know that's an era. Think if if either of you have kids, can you imagine telling your kids I was 18 years old? and my brother was 16 yeah and we hitchhiked so that's how we got there but it's a different oh, yeah. uh, again
0: uh and your you said that was your younger brother who was a pretty good uh jumper you said high jumper yeah. yeah yeah he
1: did he did seven four in the high jump he was wow yeah he was he was probably the last one of the last best Straddle high jumper. So he didn't use a phosphory flop. He did the ah. straddle where you go like that. So you don't see that anymore. Uh we did that because we used to spade up the garden and for so it'd be soft and so you could straddle, high jump, and land on your like a cat, sort of.
0: Right. And that was the only
1: safe way to do it. <laughs> you
0: would take a spade out, turn up all the soil to soften it up. Yeah. Your parents probably yeah. love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in the spring they did. They didn't so much. Oh, in the there summer. You go.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. true uh and then did he go on to iowa
1: yeah bill jumped at iowa uh he was uh, all american a couple times um uh, i remember at the olympic trials he was eighth and then it was like three so he would have made in 76 he would have i thought he was going to make the team because if he had jumped seven four and a half he would have made the team and he was only this he'd only not jumped that high by this much so
0: so that's, he was uh, close.
1: Yeah, but yeah. that and 25 cents got you a cup of coffee, so.
0: No, 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 that's a great story. The Pref- missing Prefontaine's hand by two inches is, is that's a better story long-term than slopping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thousands of people slopped his hand, so. so, <laughs> so now, what, what would your athletes say about you if we, uh, if we asked them and said, hey, what's, what's uh, Coach Kaneda like?
1: I have a lot of, I mean, I'm a man of routine, uh, when I do stuff, I, you know, I think anyone successful, as boring as routine is, that's how you get stuff done. And so if we had morning practices, we met at this time and everyone showed up. We had Sunday practices. This is what we did. And, and I wouldn't allow people, people to complain, you know, because of being in the city where I coached at UIC, we used to have to drive about a half an hour to get to trails where it's soft surface, hills, uh, you know, the right type of setting. But uh, I just didn't want to hear it, you know, it's, and they, they may have thought I was an old school, and I, I guess I probably am, but uh, that's how you get it done. I mean, to, to be soft or what, I don't want to run the rain or that's too muddy on the trail, pff, I could care less. But on the other end of it, I, I mean, I, I'm easy going. So I don't, I'm not a yeller. Like I would never, athletes don't come back, to me, 20 years later, and say you were an a- asshole. I mean, they say no, you're a nice guy. I didn't always agree with what you did, but I see why you did it, and that's what I—that's what I was popular. But they also know me for uh, like initials. I don't know how if you've heard like DFL. Have you ever heard DFL?
0: Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've been there before.
1: Say that or not, but uh, <laughs> sure. dead last. I'll say that yes. much. Or you know, I had SFB. I would say UFSFB. I would never swear to athletes, but I would say. It's S for brains. Uh, you know, there's things that you say, so it, it, it didn't come across so harsh because I didn't, you know, I didn't swear directly out of it, just making joke of it. But uh, and I and I'd always come up with sayings like, uh, oh, like one, make like a newborn and head out. So you know, I always think it's like they had never heard that before, and they thought, hmm, head out. But I said that's how babies born, head out. Uh, so you come up with stuff like that and I think they, that's what they remember a lot of times. I had one thing, I, I guess if you had to ask any of them, the thing they would say is, when I was at Iowa, we had a great situation, I mean, the best of everything. Each year it got a little, in my career, things got a little bit worse, which is kind of bad. It's not the way you're supposed to work. But yeah. the money got smaller and smaller. When I was at UIC, I had a saying with the kids. I said, some people have are blessed with, they get roses in life. They get the best of the best. Others get what's ever left over. I said, you know, sometimes you got to decide you can make the best of what you have. I used to hold a bag up like this and I would say, this is a bag of shit, but this is our bag of shit. And this is the best bag of shit you ever had in your life. That's what, that's where your life is going to be. You have to make the best of what you have, whether you like it or not. And so if I had to think of one thing that I said to the athletes every single year, I start off the season with that very, speech it was a little bit longer but it reminded them, like don't complain just make the best of what you have and i think that's what they remember when they think
0: so what's the profile of a a typical student or typical student athlete at uic
1: at uic there was a lot of engineers um educators um i mean it's a very science oriented there's a lot of there's a med school there at uic um, sure it's, it's a it's a school that when I was there, I don't know if you ever heard of Maxwell Street in Chicago, but Maxwell Street was an old Jewish neighborhood okay. where they would sell bootleg, bootleg uh, DVDs or stolen tires or you know, if someone was stolen off your car, they were selling it there. It's that type of place. It's just a flea market, but it's an informal one. But they would have uh, you know, abandoned buildings. So when I first started there, it looked like it, an abandoned neighborhood. I mean, honestly, so it was hard to track people, but now I, I couldn't afford to live there anymore. It's changed that much. So it's, it's, that happened over 25, 30 years. So it was a all due process. to
0: your work with the uh, track and cross country team. Yes. That's no? what you're saying. You totally revitalized an entire neighborhood.
1: <laughs> well, we did. We did. I mean, it, it was so easy because it, it wasn't very good. Like I said, when we started, but we had some good conference schools. I mean, Loyal was in the, a good conference school, uh, and Butler was a good conference school. Butler, one sure. year when I was coaching, they finished fourth in the nation. The men, so it was a, it was tough. Let me tell you, we had to we had to work hard.
0: So, so what are you? What are your best one or two memories from your experience there coaching?
1: You know, some of the ones that I remember the most are the most average athletes that that produced a, a better than average time. I mean, honestly, um, I had a kid, Zalewski, probably about six or seven years ago well probably eight or ten years ago came in with a 157 and 800 and ended up running 149. Uh, wow. You know I had a, a, a guy that ran uh, I'm trying to think what did Kyle run his he, in high school he'd never broken 15 minutes for three mile in high school and he ran 24 25 in an in a 8k which is about five miles. Uh, you know some of those guys that you know they're not world class athletes or anything because I've had I mean I had a limping when I coached Drake she was in the 400 but uh, you know sometimes the ones that d- don't impress you when they start out and then all of a sudden they they do good those are the ones I remember more than anything else.
0: And do you hear from those guys some some oh of, yeah some of the touch. athletes yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I I, uh, I mean it's it's funny I had a oh this is probably six months ago one of my former athletes at Loyalist, she said do you remember me. It's like, do I remember you? Of course I remember you. You know, it's like I'm not that old. I'm not seen out yet. Uh, you know, you 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 do keep a judge, and I make a point to do that. There's different groups that, like uh, at Loyola. There's a group called the the Bell Lap Club, and they have they get together two or three times a year, and so I'll go out with them and have a few beers or some food. And uh, but it's you know I, I I that's one of the things that as a coach, one of the most rewarding things. That you have is a is the relationship with the athletes um i had a i had a kid just the other day he he was so talented he could have been one of the best athletes i coached but he had the wrong uh lifestyle i'll put it that way wrong okay lifestyle. and so it, it he ended up just being an average runner and it's like yeah you know you you always remember that it's like the girlfriends that got away uh, you always remember those. And that's,
0: so you need that, um, that Steve Prefontaine poster uh, tacked <laughs> over his bed, right? To, yeah. get anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift.
1: Well, he, he sacrificed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it is that's... one
0: of the nice things about coaching. I, I, the other day I sent a note to a, an old uh, college professor of mine. I don't know why. He popped into my head and I sent him. I looked him up, found his email address, sent him a quick note and said, hey, I really enjoyed your the couple classes I took with you. And he sent a nice note back and he said, you know, we, we really, we have these nice relationships with professors and students, but, but we really, it goes into a black hole. We really never hear from you guys again, but coaching is different, right? I mean, that's, a, that's one of the very nice things about that coach athlete relationship is you do stay in touch with, with kids more often. Yeah, you are checking you're, in on the team. And-
1: yeah. Cause yeah. my, my wife teaches at Loyola. We're, we live two blocks off of Loyola. It's just over my shoulder actually. Um, but you know, she has a student in a class, and then that's the last she ever sees them. I and mean, she may have them in two or three, but it's not the same relationship where I'm working with a cohort of athletes for four years at a time. And it's you see the best and the worst. I mean, we stand in the snow and the rain and the sun and the you know, the wind, and you know, you're I'm standing there just like they're standing there. So it's we've all suffered the same. And I think that's what makes the bonds so unique. It's not just a short period of time where you're you know, together it's like it's every single day for a lot of years.
0: And and have you been able to put your finger on kind of the magic of the sport, the magic of running, and particularly I'm thinking about distance running. But um, but it always um, it's so hard to explain this to me. I do I do not do a good job of explaining this to a to a non runner about w- why that feels so exciting to stand on the start line of a race that you know you have absolutely zero chance of winning or placing <laughs> or finishing the top ten percent, but but there's there's a real joy to that and particularly on race day right but I I don't know I've never been able to capture that you're you're, you're a better writer than I am but w- what is that magic?
1: You know you, you're so right though because one of the things and I think this is the case of any runner. It, just like you say, the chance to push yourself, the chance to go past nerves and being scared and stuff like that. I've never had a, a runner finish like a road race that didn't say, I'm glad I ran it. I enjoyed it. They don't, you know, occasionally I've had races I would just assume jump off a cliff, but sure. uh, we all have those. But for the most part, there's it's a, it's such a positive experience. And I, and I think that each athlete can find joy even in their races because you could you could run 10 seconds faster even though you finished 80th. Uh, I mean, I remember my junior year at Big 10, so I think I, I want to say I finished 37th, but um, but it was the fastest I had ever run for the six miles. We used to run six miles before. So I was happy even though I finished 37th, which is not very good. Uh, you know it's better than last but or dfl as they say but uh it, it's not very good
0: but your athletes do they appreciate do they come to appreciate that more and more over mm-hmm. time
1: yeah most definitely I, I i think they many of them are teachers and they get out in the in the world and they see how many of the the, the things you have to deal with behind the scenes that no one notices um their personalities that, i think that's more than anything personalities you have to live with i mean i had athletes and i'm not going to name names so that, that i would have you know just soon push off a cliff but uh you know it, it wasn't always an option because that's that was your teammate that's who you had to work with and so i always told athletes that same thing you've got to realize this is you may not like him that's your teammate that's the way it is so you've got to deal with it but if this, you know i wanted to work hard but it, there's, a, there's a lot of people uh, in life, and I think it's a good lesson. You're going to have bosses and co-workers and you don't nah, particularly like, but you know, do they do the job when the when your toes on the line? Yeah, okay. Well, then that's your good friend, whether you know it or not. So.
0: You're an upbeat, positive, engaging guy. What's what, what's your formula when? In a group dynamic, things start going south and negativism, you know, maybe yeah. the maybe the couple of bell cows in the crowd are, you know, mm-hmm. leading the Nancy negative kind of routine. Can you get that back on the rails or is that really tough once that's gone sideways?
1: No, I I always first thing I always did was pull aside the the bad apple and talk with them first. And then I would get the team together and then talk with the team as a group to make sure that they realize this this is the procedures this is what we do uh don't let anyone affect you you know if there's a problem talk with me don't try and solve it yourself i'll solve it for you and there's a lot of kids over the years when i think of if i had females in my office crying oh yeah oh, yeah but i but it wasn't me well they probably thought i was mean i wasn't abusive towards them i was just telling them the facts i would say stuff like you know, if you don't want to do this, I'm not going to make you. You have a scholarship, but if you don't want to run, then quit the team. That's fine. I'm not going to yell at you. But they—that would make them like, "Oh my God!" They'd make them stop and think what they were just saying. And they a lot of times just being rational with them. I think more than anything else. I mean, I, I'm definitely not a yeller. It's if if you saw me yelling a meet, it's at an official. It's never one of my athletes ever. I don't. I never. Uh, I, I have a. <laughs> Uh, There's a couple of times I've been at two or three meets. They were threatening to kick me out of a meet. I have, when, when you get me riled, oh man, you got the wrong guy riled. Let me tell you. Uh, it, it doesn't come across, but I, you, you do. Uh, I've got a nickname that I won't use, but uh, I've had at three different programs. They called me the same nickname and it, none of them knew that's what I was called. Uh,
0: so. Wait, who called you that? The, uh, the officials?
1: No, the f- fellow coaches. <laughs> it's like you're you're an F and badass. And they would continue and they would call me that F and badass over and over. And so even to this day, a lot of people still call me that. Although maybe different reason.
0: <laughs> oh man. So so are you are you a bad fan of basketball games then? Are you riding the ref and going crazy? And...
1: No, I, I, no, I no just for your own dad.
0: athletes. All right
1: yeah i i know i i i'm i'm mostly a gentleman i i am uh i'm trying to think of uh, i can uh, practice one time though i think of basketball we were at loyal we were up in the we had a track above the basketball it's a small gym okay we had a track above one of those old ymcas that are like 12 yeah, I love quarters, miles okay yeah. I like that um i had, and last, turns, had a wooden, lab or yeah. something i had to take her through a workout and the basketball coach sent his manager up to tell me to leave oh man I was down there in one second I ran right in the middle of their practice I said oh man and the kids were like oh. you know they were oh my god I was so
0: pissed. Um, Now, did your athlete appreciate that at the time or was she oh, mortified
1: shocked yeah never seen yeah. that in me at all which, and, but she
0: she did she, yeah, she, so, you were doing it for the right reasons. To, yeah. Yeah. To defend her.
1: We didn't. Yeah. We didn't do anything wrong. So, yeah.
0: Good. But, uh, uh, and and how, got how about hired,
1: uh, shortly after? So
0: you felt badly about that, right? No. <laughs> Karma, man. It's a powerful tool. <laughs> powerful phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and what about, uh, I mean, you mentioned some athletes who didn't live up to their p- potential, but are there other disappointments or things that, you know, if you could rewind, you would have done differently or, or, or big regrets or, um, or, or things that really did not turn out the way you wanted?
1: You know, it, it's funny. I, I, I always think, I, I guess I'm a believer that you are what you are in your life. It'd probably turn out pretty close to the same if you relived it. But at the same time, I'll give you an example. When I was at Drake University... Uh, early 80s, I don't remember when, I'm bad with the years, early 80s, um, I got a chance to coach Northwestern. And I thought that'd be exciting, because I always wanted to coach in the Big Ten. Uh, And so I I went in, started, I think it was 84, but I can't remember. Went in, program, and didn't have much uh, to work with, but we got better really quick. But anyway, uh, three years later, they dropped the program in Northwestern. So I'm thinking, I, I went from Drake, and we had a very good women's team at Drake. That's why I was women's coach. Very good team. And then came to Northwestern three years later, I'm not coaching anymore. It's like, boy, that was stupid. What did I what did I do? So you make, I don't want to say it was even a bad decision, but it's just that your life turns out crazy. And sometimes... Uh, you end up in places that eh, maybe not where I want. But again, I always, as I told the kids, I held, held up the bag and say, this is what it is. So make it the yeah. best you can make it. Uh, you know, if all you do is complain about how bad you have it, you'll never be any good. So that was my yeah. philosophy. But it, it's it's funny how where your life ends up. If you told me I end up in Chicago, uh, I wouldn't have guessed because I was growing up in Iowa City. It's At the time, it was a town of like 40,000, just as small with a university in it. And, I never thought I'd probably ever leave. But my dad only had jobs in Iowa City all his life. So times change.
0: Yeah. All right. So uh, I've, I I could go on for hours about coaching philosophy. So I won't, I won't take us too much further down that road. But um, so bring us back to the book. So um, what, what's the what's the Reader's Digest version, the elevator pitch on why this book is interesting, why you love it, why you're happy with it, why every runner in America should read this?
1: Well, I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know if I'm a good writer, but I understand the story. And I think the story is just to compare eras. It's I, I do it through a parallel story. So when I talk about the father's sophomore year in high school, the next chapter is the son's sophomore year in high school. Yep. Then I, we go back and forth. And I think it contrasts the, the two eras, And it's because the story is, I don't want to say told so well, but because I understand the sport so well, it flows. No one's going to like. Oh, that's the wrong word. Or you know, that yeah, couldn't yeah, happen yeah. in a million years. Uh, they understand the story, and I, I've had two of my athletes, whether they were lying or not, but they said I I just inten- intended to read the first chapter and I ended up reading in ten chapters uh, because it flows well. I, I hope, um, and and so that that's you know I I just wanted to tell that story because. I like fiction. I like uh, nonfiction too, but there since John Parker, who you mentioned earlier, yeah, name. I mean, there are others, but name another book that's a fictional book of a. And there's not, and so I thought there's a niche that I could pursue, and I would be a somewhat of a rarity in my field because, like I said, there's Steve Prefontaine, there's Craig Virgin, and there's you know Bob Shaw. I could you could name anyone has a book but it's about them and i think one of the unique things that i like about my book is that these are it's events that really happened i think john parker is the great book i'm not saying anything bad Absolutely. but you always had to guess who he's talking about or where he was at or, uh,
0: right I used, right
1: i mean i used uh the, well the high school actually went to a city high it wasn't the east High, but I use that people will understand right away. I use Iowa. I use track meets that were literally happened. Uh, and so I insert my characters into the story. And I think it makes it more realistic. And I find that, like when I talk about some of the events in Illinois, I've I've had so many athletes say to me, it's like, that's exactly what it was like. You captured exactly the feel. And that's what I'm trying to do. But the because a good example in, in Illinois, there's a Runner at York High School. York High School, you might have heard, is probably one of the best distance-running programs in the nation. I mean, there's, you know, 10 others, too, but it's one of them, certainly. There was a runner at the time, Donald Sage, but he became Daniel Page of my book. So Daniel Page, but everyone who's from Illinois knows you put Daniel Page, that's Donald Sage, but that's what I want. But at the same time, it gives me license to create a little bit, because I he he'll say stuff. It's not swearing or anything, but he'll say stuff that he I don't know that he actually said. But sure, um, you know I can create that in there. And I think any fictional book is based on reality, truth. I mean, they'll talk about real That'd events, be- real people, real. Well, I just use more real events, real people, uh, and that's that's hopefully the tale because you'll see that. Kids will go, oh yeah, I, I was at That mean? Well, you weren't at this. The meet I'm describing because it's fictional, but it's they understand exactly what I mean, and so it, it lends credence to the story. And I think that's what's missing in some of the. Again, John Parker's a great. great he's way he sold way more books than I ever will. But but you had to like kind of guess who this was, and you know he doesn't say University of Florida. It's some school in Gainesville, and so it's a little bit different. Nice state, exactly what it is. I mean, no, look, there's there's gorgeous. plenty of room
0: in the category. I agree with you. There's just there's not enough fiction in this, and it, it happens to be, it's a sport of pretty smart people, right? It's it it attracts mm-hmm. uh, people who are are pretty literate and and mm-hmm. thoughtful, and yeah. uh, as you mentioned, you're out there for sometimes hours at a time running uh, alone, or um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of time for introspection. So I think, um, it, in that way, it's probably a good. It's kind of surprising that more books have not popped up. You know, you, you come up with like, you know, born mm-hmm. to run or running with the buffaloes and we'll have a mm-hmm. have a bit of a, a hit or a Dean Carnese's book or something. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's there's not much in this category. There really should be more. So good for you for doing more fiction that's yeah. based on running.
1: The only thing I worry about is I had to insert my character in this story. So some poor soul who was actually fifth in the Big Ten meet doesn't get mentioned at all. <laughs> So I, I, that way, I felt bad because there are people that I, I just know one of them's going to call me and say, "No, I got fifth, not you." Well, I said, "Well, I'm not real, so uh, neither's his story." So you, so you, if I'd known you, I, it wouldn't happen. But I don't know, this what happened.
0: <laughs> I love it. All right, so you've been you've been very generous with your time. We, we uh, if you'll indulge us, you probably heard a little bit in this in our Bill Rogers interview, but we always like to do a couple quick questions at the end. So you, oh, may, sure. have cheated. you may have cheated a little bit. You kind of know some of the questions we've asked most of our guests, but um, we'll hit, hit you with a couple of quick questions. Just, uh, it's been fun. And we're, um, we're about to publish a list of everyone's answers on this. We've got some great answers on some of these, like, you know, favorite, um, favorite mm-hmm. book or what have you, but all right, so we'll hit you with a couple quick questions. Fa- your favorite movie of all time.
1: Oh, Chinatown
0: oh good
1: one i, I love jack nicholson. jack nicholson and faye dunaway faye dunaway boy that was good
0: that's hard to beat all right favorite book you're not allowed to say your own
1: <laughs> i wouldn't anyway a oh, favorite book boy oh boy oh boy oh boy uh you know um harper lee's uh uh oh to kill a mockingbird, kill a mockingbird. I, I like the setting i like that a lot
0: how do you beat that small town america yeah yeah, yeah. standing up for what's right Yeah, great Mm -hmm. characters. Yeah, love Mm it. Uh, If you could have dinner with one person, living or deceased, who would you pick?
1: Oh, boy. That's the boy. Um, It had to be a president like John Kennedy.
0: That'd be pretty fascinating, right? That was what, what an era.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A
0: lot of controversial decisions he had yeah. to make his whole way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just what, two days ago was his anniversary of his death. It was I November know. 21st. And see, I remember I was in fifth grade, I think fifth grade when that happened. So I still remember. Yeah.
0: yeah, No, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I just missed that by a year. But uh if, um w- when you um you run, you like running with headphones,
1: without headphones, Never, never. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I'm too old school. Uh, even to be honest, I, I, I wrote an article about this one time. There's nothing wrong with runner's tights, nothing wrong. But I would no more wear running tights than I would wear a tutu. Uh, it's just, I grew up in an era where boys didn't wear, you know, like running tights. They just didn't. So I can't.
0: <laughs> no, I, the one I don't understand is people, uh, you know, men or women wearing tights or yoga tights. In the middle of the summer, running outdoors on a beautiful day, but anyway,
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: What do I know? Uh, yeah. Morning runner, midday runner, evening runner.
1: Morning always. I was just get it done. I was. Uh, I'm my dad's German, and I'm German. Like you don't sit around. You you know, we we had to be ready for church ten minutes early. That's that's why missing the first meeting. I was. It that still gets in my craw. I, I can't. I apologize, but. Uh, yeah, so morning, 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 never put wow. it off.
0: Norman McLean is, uh, r- River Runs Through, his great book said, two things you're never late for, fly fishing or church in our family. <laughs> so, or
1: your funeral, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, best, you've had a lot of interaction, with a lot of interesting people over the years, but, but best mentor when you think back on, on your career in life.
1: You know, Bill Bergen was the coach at Iowa State when I was in grad school. He entrusted me with uh, coaching the. And remember this: I'm a distance, I was a distance runner. He he trusted me with high jump, pole vault, long jump, triple jump. Um, Amazing that we did a good job. We scored a ton of points. But here's a here's a guy that's probably you know 23 years old. I don't remember like that. But he he did things right. He was always organized, structured, um, great recruiter. When I was there in 81, that was the, we finished first in the big eight. Now it's a big 12 uh, at Iowa state, but Bill was, he was such a great person. I mean, he, I can remember one time the, I was sitting in his office talking him, and, and a student newspaper edit, editor for sports came in and was interviewing and he, he introduced me as the athletic director of the school and I'm like, what, what are you talking about and he just kept he said well what do you know he would talk about this and that and he just and i'd just play along and the kid i swear to god he believed me but I, but he would do stuff like that all the time i mean practical jokes Eat to this day i'm afraid to trust him because he's pulling my leg i mean for example he said in high school he used to run barefoot and i said bill you didn't run barefoot he said yeah i did I said bill i know you you're lying to me no i did he said, well he actually did <laughs> So I I, I don't. Whatever he has a joke, like oh, it's gonna be on me. I'm afraid. So, <laughs> but he was All a great, right. great, great great
0: guy. Last one for you. Do uh, you have a favorite sports quote, sports motto, famous coaching quote?
1: Oh God! You come uh, up with too
0: many good ones on your own. Your, your bag of poop. I mean, how do you top that? You know, <laughs> you don't you don't need to quote Lou Holtz or uh, Newt Rock. like there. a
1: newborn and head out. That's <laughs> that, that, that's the best I can do.
0: I love it. I love it. Hey, you're, you're such a good sport to, uh, to put up with us. And, uh, you're so nice to, to spend time with us and, and, uh, no, best of luck. We will, um, I've job one, I've got to, I've got to finish the book this week, which I'll have some downtime over, over, the, uh, Thanksgiving. So, uh, but we'll, we'll, I want to publish that and make sure we get all the links to that and our website and our newsletter. Um, so people know about this because yeah, it's it, it, it's a great underserved category so
1: yeah
0: um, from a really authentic voice so we're, we're rooting for you
1: i appreciate it it's it, it's you know honestly when i wrote the book i just thought if i'd sell a hundred i'll be happy but i'm so competitive that i can't there's that's not going to happen it's got to be much higher so anyway oh very cool and then uh
0: and don't let your uh don't let your wife You know, second guess your uh, your your running games or your uh, publishing
1: prowess. (laughs) Well, she's smarter than me, but I know about this stuff. So,
0: good stuff, man. Hey, we'll we'll talk soon again. I hope.
1: Okay. Good time. All right,
0: Jim. Take care. Bye bye.
1: Bye.